mere religion looks clean on the outside but covers a greedy heart. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? Jesus uses this debate as a way of saying, God looks at the heart. continuing this at the table series this weekend and we're going to look at the Emmaus Road how to live and die we're looking at Luke 24 and verse 13 what's going on here well this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus it's Easter day it's the final two hours of Easter day Jesus is risen but not many people know about it and the city of Jerusalem is buzzing with rumor and speculation and there are a couple of his followers who are heading home and they get a big surprise on their way home let's take a look the same day two of Jesus followers were walking to the village of Emmaus seven miles from Jerusalem as they walked along they were talking about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them but God kept them from recognizing him He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here, happened there these, uh, the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey Jesus acted as if he were going on but they begged him stay the night with us since it's getting late so he went home with them as they sat down to eat he took the bread and blessed it then he broke it and gave it to them suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at that moment he disappeared They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There, they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. How many of us have ever parked our car in a parking lot at the grocery store we go in we get the stuff we come out and we cannot remember 
where we parked the car. Raise your hand. If you have ever done that, raise your hand if you've done it more than ten times in your life. Raise your hand if you are part of an elite group of which I am a member. And you have done this at least a hundred times in your life. It's a bad thing to happen, especially if you do it at an international airport. Oh yeah. I parked my car at Heathrow Airport, jumped on a plane, came back a week later, got in the bus. The guy says, where's your car, sir? I said, I do not have a clue. I said, there aren't that many, are there? He chuckled with a sinister chuckle. He said, there are thousands of cars. I said, well, just drop me off. I'll find my car. So I'm now wandering around with my bags, and I'm praying the prayer you pray when you can't find your car. It goes like this. Show me the car. Amen. Couldn't find it, so I thought I'd better just dump my bags down somewhere. That will free me up to go up and down the lines, you know. So I dumped my bags, and about ten minutes later, still can't find my car. I thought, better go see if I can find my bags. I eventually found them, which were right where I just spontaneously dumped my bags, which was right at the trunk of my own car. Yes, it's a gift. But I remember that feeling of being bewildered, lost. What now? What do I do? Can't call AAA. Two reasons. Number one, they're the other side of the Atlantic, so that's awkward. And secondly, they're going to say, where's your car? That's the point. I haven't got a clue. What now? These two had not lost their car, but they had lost their hope. They're on their way home after a terrible weekend. We don't know much about them. Cleopas is one of them. Tradition says that Cleopas was the brother of Joseph, the earthly stepfather of Jesus. So in a sense, this is Uncle Cleopas who is on the road. Church tradition says that the person with him was his wife, Mary. If that's true, she was one of the Marys who gathered at the cross of Jesus. Now, they are heading home. They're confused. What now? They've heard rumors, but they don't know what is true. And they're suddenly joined by a stranger who starts to visit with them. That'd be a bit freaky, wouldn't it? You know, you're up walking through Rocky Mountain National Park and with your family, and suddenly some strange dude comes up and starts talking with you. You think, is this okay? If you're from England, it's just not okay. I'm going back to London tonight, and I have to prepare myself. Because in America, strangers greet each other. It's a friendly nation. You're on the trail in the National Park. You say, hey, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. And I go back to England and I greet strangers and they think I'm strange. Hey, how you doing? What's it got to do with you? <laughs> well, have a nice day. I'll have whatever kind of day I want. <laughs> Just kidding. But it must have been a bit weird. Maybe not because Jews, these were Passover pilgrims on their way home. So maybe it would have been very natural for a stranger to join them. They don't know it, but it's Jesus. And they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. And during this walk and the meal that follows, some vital principles emerge that can help us to live well and to die well. These principles can help us when life is tough. Life can be tough. Even 
when we think it's good. Isn't it true that there are few moments in life that are absolutely perfect? Like, yes, that sunset, that moment, you just want to stay there. Everything is just good. But life is not continuously like that. Sometimes life is not perfect even when we think it's perfect. Some years ago, I was invited to speak at a leadership conference in the Cayman Islands. The organizer called me. He said, would you like to come to the Cayman Islands to speak to some leaders? I said, let me pray about it. Amen. Yes, when? (laughs) So we flew to the Cayman Islands and someone in the congregation had a beach house. And we're in this beach house on the ocean. This is gorgeous. We're sitting, Kay and I are sitting by the water which is lapping around our toes. She's sitting on a rock and I'm sitting on the sand. I said, honey, come sit with me on the sand. She said, no, I like the rock. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's perfect. Unaware that beneath me there were 25 billion sand fleas. And they were all giving thanks for the food. Life can be tough. It's really perfect. So what can we learn from this story? Well, number one, let's learn this. Live in the dream of God. And that means sharing our disappointments with him. Live in the dream of God. Share our disappointments with him. Verse 17, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Why? Why are they sad? Well, verse 21. Well, we had hoped. Remember that phrase. We had hoped. He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Why are they sad? I'll tell you why they're sad. Because they're chasing the wrong dream. This is really important if we're going to understand the New Testament. Jesus came as Messiah. But Jesus came to a culture that was expecting a Messiah who would overthrow the hated Roman occupiers kick them out and establish a throne to rule the world from the city of Jerusalem. In Jewish thinking, any time someone claiming to be a Messiah got anywhere near Jerusalem, they thought, it's time for thrones now. That's why in Matthew 20, when Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem, Salome, the mother of James and John, immediately piped up and said, how about a throne for my boys? One on your right, one on your left. She's thinking the classic Jewish thinking. Messiah, Jerusalem, kick out the Romans, establish thrones. That's the way they expected it to be. Crucifixion wasn't part of the deal. In fact, crucifixion... The crucifixion of Jesus would have been devastating in their thinking. They're looking for a Moses figure. They describe, Cleopas describes Jesus as powerful in word and deed and uses exactly the same phrase that Stephen uses in his speech before martyrdom describing Moses as powerful in word and deed. So that's the grid that they're working to. But Jesus is not the Moses leading them from the oppression of Pharaoh or Rome. He's the Moses leading everyone, potentially, in the exodus out of sin and death. But they're still living with a small dream. A couple of reflections on that. First of all, 
I noticed that they were missing out all that Jesus said about his suffering and he rebuked them for that. There is a human tendency to want Jesus but not a cross. There's a human tendency to want Jesus. He's a good teacher. To want Jesus. He's the baby of Bethlehem at Christmas because babies don't threaten anything. But the cross, the cross drives a a stake into human pride. The cross says, you don't just need a teacher or a baby born. We all need rescuing. We all need rescuing from sin and from death. We can't make it by ourselves. But there's something about us that wants to have Jesus but no cross. And then... Notice, too, that one of the greatest prayers, one of the most authentic prayers we can pray, starts like this. We had hoped. We had hoped. And Jesus doesn't interrupt their complaining, but he lets Cleopas talk. There are three things you never normally hear from a preacher. There are three things that pastors never normally say. One of them goes like this. We won't bother with the offering today. (laughs) You won't hear that because it's an important part of our worship and maintaining our ministries. The second thing pastors never normally say goes like this. We don't need any more volunteers. Because we always do. Here's the third thing you don't normally hear a preacher say. I am disappointed with Jesus. I am. But before the stoning begins, let me explain. My disappointment with Jesus has got nothing to do with Jesus. It's got to do with my expectations. You see, he's not been what I anticipated. I thought when I got to know him, I'd have a red telephone to heaven and we'd just have crystal clear communication. Hello, Jesus. Hello, Jeff. He's not been what was described to me by Christians before I became a Christian. I thought it would be a lot easier than this. So when I say that I'm disappointed, it's got nothing to do with Jesus being disappointing. It's to do with my expectations. But sometimes we feel like that. And sometimes we feel like that because we're genuinely angry. So can you be angry with God? The Bible is full of it. Jeremiah cursed the day of his birth. Jonah stomped out of revival town. Elijah parked himself in a cave and prayed for death. The psalmist constantly expresses anger towards God. Why have you forgotten me? Where have you gone? Why? And I think some of us need to know that it's okay. John Goldingay says the psalmist assumes that God is big enough to take it and loving enough to absorb it. There's a difference between cursing God And being authentic with God. It's okay to begin a prayer with, well I had hoped. Because God knows our heart anyway. And our frustration can be part of an authentic relationship with him. Secondly, secondly we learn from this that we need to look at life and death with faith and trust in him. Look at life and death with faith and trust in him. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Now, 
Please get this. It says there that God, that God was involved in keeping them from recognizing Jesus. But that's not what the text says. It's a poor translation. That may be the case. But the word that is actually used here in the Greek is kratio, which means to be under arrest. What, the, what Luke says is their eyes were under arrest. Now, it's the same word that's used to describe the physical arrest of Jesus. Now, it may be that God was involved. It may be that tiredness or disappointment or not expecting to bump into Jesus right there because they, they kind of thought he was dead, but we've heard these rumors. But here's the point. Jesus is there when we don't notice. And much of the time we don't notice. Are you like that? I mean, I, I, I wish when you gave your life to Jesus, he just was right there. And we just, you know, I, like, I, I wish I'd woken up this morning and did a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air. <laughs> I landed in my blue suede shoes and the angel Gabriel handed me a cup of tea and said, Yo, Jeffrey. <laughs> you know, should I tell you what happened this morning? I woke up this morning. And I went, Ehh. I looked at my alarm clock with illogically menacing thoughts. Then I said this, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And often we forget that walking by faith is walking by faith. And he's there when we don't notice. And notice this too. Jesus walks the wrong way with them. I like that about him. They're headed the wrong way because as soon as they figure out who he is, they have to turn around and go back. But he walks with them while they're walking the wrong way. Is there someone that you love who's out there and they're doing ridiculous, crazy, dangerous stuff and you are so worried about them? You wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat and you so want them to come back to God. Well, I've got news. He is out there on the road. And he can meet them on the road, even when they're walking the wrong way. And by the way, that's not just for them, because we meander some as well, don't we? Jesus walks with them. Notice, too, that he uses scripture. Jesus doesn't just say, well, just believe in me. No, he opens scripture. He opens the Old Testament to them. I wonder which passages he used. The temple. And then he says, by the way, I'm, I'm now the new temple. Does he talk about the manna in the wilderness and say, oh, by the way, I'm the bread of life. Does he quote Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quoted that on the cross. I don't know what scriptures he used, but he used scripture to nurture their faith. That's why we open the book. That's why we need the Bible. That's why Sunday at Timberline is not enough when it comes to biblical, a biblical diet. Because as we are people of scripture, we walk by faith. And we realize this, faith is not a leap in the dark. Oh no, it's a leap into a story. Jesus opened to them the story, showed, him, showed them where his part was, and was surely inviting them into the story. Let's walk by faith. Number three, number three, keep on inviting Jesus in for supper. Keep on inviting Jesus in for supper. Have faith in this season. I love this. Verse 29. 
But they begged him. And by the way, when it says they begged him, this was not a sort of a polite invitation. I say, would you like to possibly have supper with us? No, it's forceful. They begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. Now there's something in here that might offend some of us, but let's just go for it. Jesus is having a little bit of fun here. I can imagine somebody saying, Jesus having fun? It's disgraceful. You ever met those Christians? They're like, they wear emotional corsets. You know what I mean? Everybody else laughs and they're like. He shows up and he, he hears them talking about stuff. And he says, what are you talking about? And they say, they're talking about what happened in Jerusalem these last three days. And look at this. He says, what things? He knows he was the center of it. And then I love it. He says, Jesus, when they get to near to Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was going on. The word there means pretended. You see, this shows a couple of things, but it shows the light touch of Jesus. The playfulness of Jesus. Jesus was a very popular party guest. Party guest. Whenever I say party, people think I'm saying potty. So party guest. He was popular as a party guest and not just because he was really good with wine at weddings. <laughs> you don't invite miseries to a party. Oh, let's just, let's just invite, I won't say a name because it might be your name. Let's just invite Jeff. He's a real party pooper. So what we need around is a few more parties. No. Children ran to Jesus. You don't run to a weird, wide-eyed guy. Let's go see the crazy man. <laughs> one of the reasons, because of this beautiful deal and because of many other things, one of the reasons why we're committed to fun. <laughs> I said this in one church I went to preach out. A guy came up to me and said, we don't have fun in our church. We have joy. I looked at him. I thought, you haven't got either one, pal. <laughs> I've told you the story before, but I've got to tell you again. It's so beautiful. It's the story of Gemma. Gemma is a nurse. She lives in Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom. Currently. Gemma was working the night shift when she got a call from the emergency room. The doctor said, we have Doris here. Doris is dying. She's in the last stage, probably the last hour of her life. Her relatives are here with her. We don't want her to die in the clamor of the emergency room. Do you have a room that you could give to her? And Gemma said, Gemma's a Christian, she said, yes, send, send her up. And they arrived, this little group of relatives. She put Doris into a side room and turned the lights down so that Doris would not have to spend her final moments in fluorescent glare. And she said, just hold her hand while she passes. She stepped outside and a, a friend, a colleague arrived, a fellow nurse, who uh, has got a real amazing sense of, of humor. 
She started to tell Gemma about her crazy day. She told her how she went for a job interview but got lost and drove her car into a park onto a cricket green during a game. And she went on with this story and Gemma starts to giggle and, 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 and then she starts to laugh and this girl just wouldn't quit. And now Gemma is howling with laughter. Her laughter is reverberating down the corridor and then she suddenly realizes just behind that wall there's poor Doris. This is so unprofessional. So she knocked at the door and opened the door and Doris who Gemma later found out is also a follower of Jesus. Doris is sitting up in bed laughing, oxygen mask off. And Gemma says, what happened to you? Which is medical language for, you're supposed to be dead, honey. <laughs> and she said, Doris said, well, my dear, I was in a very dark place. And I suddenly heard the most beautiful sound of laughter. So I thought to myself, I don't know the joke, but I think I'll join in. <laughs> so she did. And she said, I started to laugh and laugh. And she said, I woke up and here you all are. Are you the girl with the beautiful laugh? Doris didn't die that night. They discharged her the next morning. She laughed her way back into life. So whenever anyone says, well, bless God, we're not going to smile here. I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed because fun is what happens here. They arrive at the lodging. They strongly urge him. Keep inviting Jesus in, in every stage of life. By the way, invite him as the one in charge because he breaks the bread. That was the host's role. He sits at the table, not as the guest, but as the host. But something fantastic happens here. I am so excited about this. Because you see, as they break the bread, their eyes are open. Does that remind you of anything? If it doesn't, let me remind you. Genesis, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. She takes the fruit, eats it. She gives him the fruit. He eats it. Their eyes are opened and they see their nakedness and the cosmos falls into sin and despair and depravity. Everything is different. Now, fast forward to Emmaus, a home. It's resurrection day. It's Easter day. Jesus is alive. This is the first meal. The first meal of the brand new creation. And they break bread. And as they break bread, their eyes are opened. And the curse of Eden is overthrown by the resurrection of Jesus. Everything is different now. Man of life. Everything is different now. Because. Because Jesus beat death. Because Jesus shares this first new creation meal. This is one of the biggest moments in the Bible and we could miss it. So I look around this room and I see friends here today who've experienced loss and tragedy in the last month, in the last couple of years, in the last couple of decades. And we do grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. 
Last night I made a a FaceTime call to a friend in Oregon who probably will not survive today. She's 92. Her family gathered around her bedside. I couldn't get to Oregon last night because I was here and here this morning. And they held the phone up to her and they said, tell her, Jeff, tell her she can go now if she wants. And I said, Pauline, you're surrounded by your family who are singing hymns to you. Your legacy is beautiful. And because of Jesus, everything is different now, honey. And death is beaten. And there will be a day. There will be a day of reunion. Because it's all changed because of the resurrection. May God's strength and grace be yours. May that settle in in the midst of the grief. Number four. Number four. Man, I'm, I, can I apologize? I don't like shouty preachers who get, you know, like, you know I don't like that. But I think, I think it's okay to get a bit excited about this. Anyone agree? All right, okay. I just, I just don't like ranty preachers who holler and you know, I just think, don't yell at me. Number four, grab hold of today, today. Keep going for him. Grab hold of today, today. Keep going for him. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And look at this. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Man, that's decisive. I like decisive. Now this weekend, Kay and I have been celebrating a special, a special weekend. Um, 38 years ago, this weekend, we got married. And, no, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I, I know you, that applause was for Kay, wasn't it? I, I get it. Well done, honey. 38 years, man. <laughs> As we've been looking back to that day, 1978. She was 16 minutes late. And I'm over it. I'm over it. All right. Okay. It's all right. And the preacher said to me, he said, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, blah, blah, fish cakes? And I said, I will. I will. And he turned to her and he said, will you take this? To be your lawful wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, richer for poor, better for worse. Will you take him? And she said, I'm not sure. <laughs> and the preacher looked kind of alarmed and he said, well, do you want to think about it? <laughs> so she turned to her mum and dad, they were sitting on the front row, and she said, what do you think? <laughs> and he said, dad, he said, well, he's got a strange nose and I think that he's probably going to lose his hair, but he was a prophet. Uh, he said, but I think it'd be all right. She said, no. She turned to the priest and she said, what, what do you think? He said, I don't know. I'm just here to do the stuff. I don't know. <laughs> he said, what do you want to do? She said, well, why don't we take a vote? <laughs> so we took a congregational vote. And I got through on the third ballot. No, I didn't. I made all that up. I said, I will. 
She said, I will. The preacher said, it's a done deal. <laughs> Something like that. Decisive. They got up. They went out on that road, which was dangerous. And they headed back to Jerusalem. How many of you were here last weekend? Raise your hand if you were here last weekend. That's good. How many of you are here this weekend? <laughs> last weekend, at the end of the service, I said, if you want to, you can sing your way into the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? Instead of praying the sinner's prayer, you could sing your way into the kingdom. And I said, I felt that within minutes or hours or days, people were going to come to me and say, I, I did that. After the third service on Sunday morning, a beautiful lady came up to me at the welcome center. She handed me a card. Here it is. There it is. I said, I said, what's that? 1229, smiley face. She said, that's the moment. That's the moment today when I sang my way to Jesus. <laughs> and then I turned the card over and it said next next Saturday baptism. I love that. Decisive. Straight away. I've sung my way into the kingdom and now I'm going to make it public and be baptized. Let's be decisive about faith. Within the hour they headed back. Is that person who gave me that card, are you at this service? If you are? Is that you back there? Alright, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be 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 decisive about faith. Let's pray. Lord, we'd like you to walk with us. We'd like you to draw close to us. We'd like to be able to walk by faith so that when you're there and we don't know, we don't notice, that somehow by your Spirit you open our eyes. Help us, help us, Lord, to be able to, at times, pray a prayer that begins with, we had hoped. Help us to bring our frustrations, our disappointments, even at times our anger to you. Let's just pause for a moment. Last weekend, the card said 12.29. It's 10.59 right now. If this is a moment when you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want to ask you just to slip up your hand. Hold it there for a second or two. And then put it down again. Would you do that? Thank you. Over there. This is your moment. 10.59 and over here. Just say to him, come in Jesus. Not just for the day, not for the evening, not just for supper, for the rest of forever. Come in, rescue me. Save me. Take charge at the table of my life. 
So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said.